Mike Pickering, founder of We Make Change, New Zealand specialists in customizable tiny house trailers, tiny house consultants and designers. Mike's current project is self-building a sustainable high-performance house. I asked Mike about his story and his projects. Mike, welcome to the Chip Away podcast, mate. Thanks for giving me your time. I'm looking forward to getting in to know a bit about you and, and your project. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into it, man. I, I wouldn't mind hearing a little bit about your background and then and kind of how that relates to the project that people are seeing on Instagram and, and following along with. Yeah, should I start start at the start there, Adam? Or... <laughs> let's do it. Yep. So I was I grew up in uh, Wanganui, um, on the west coast of the North Island, New Zealand. Yeah, basically was always into doing stuff with my hands and Lego and you know all that sort of classical stuff, mucking around on the farm and all that sort of thing. Then from yeah through school I enjoyed the sporting outdoor side of things, science and all that more than anything. And then from there I. Actually, I was going to do architecture. I got accepted to Vic to do architecture. I always sort of wanted to go to uni and just get that life experience of doing that, almost more so than the learning. <laughs> so at the last minute, I sort of, I don't know, I turned down the architecture thing and ended up going to Massey and Palmy and doing a Bachelor of Engineering and Product Development, which was a real broad degree covers pretty much everything from developing a product from idea all the way through to commercialization, which actually ended up being a really good choice because it was real broad, but I'm not the most academic person in the world. So it was pretty challenging. Yeah. Yeah. had a bit of a struggle there in first year, uh, but too much drinking and not enough uh, bookwork. And, but we, we managed to get through it. So, um, and it was, yeah, it was really good. So then from there, just sort of jumped straight, got thrown straight in the deep end and did a lot of um, tool design. So plastic injection molded uh, tools, like the big metal tools that uh, form plastic parts, basically. So, and that was very much in a CAD, like a 3D CAD world. And yeah, I didn't, I realised I didn't know stuff all about the industry uh, leaving uni. You get sort of all the book smarts and everything else, but you don't really get that industry experience. So it was a big, big learning curve there pretty quickly. And uh, this was back in Monganui. I was yeah, luckily, lucky enough to get a job straight out of uni there and then did a couple of years there and then was always had that massive itch to go overseas. So uh, went over to initially went over to Canada just to follow the snowboarding dream and the party scene really. So spent a couple or oh, two or three years over there doing a few seasons and mucking around, working on oil rigs and yeah, just sort of having a bit of a break from everything else really. Um, that's where I suppose the touched on a little bit of building stuff. Managed to when I was in Vancouver, sort of a mate of a mate was like, oh, come and give us a hand labouring on this building site. And I was like, oh, yes, sweet. So we uh, went off and did that. And, man, it was a bit of a Mickey Mouse situation. Um, we were sort of working on these this higher-end home. Um, but it hadn't been – well, I was very inexperienced. I didn't really know what was going on. But it hadn't been built very well at all. Um, we were sort of fixing up while well, I was trying to have the foreman was like, right, fix this and – like you could tell there was big like bows in the jib or the um the plasterboard which they call it over there 
you know, chopping big bits of wall out and straightening studs after it was almost to be ready to be painted and things like this. And I was like, yeah, this doesn't quite seem right, but I just, yeah, whatever, went along with it. Yeah, so that then ended up in the UK for about four or five years after that. There I started sort of knuckling down and doing a bit more work again, doing uh, contract work in the mechanical engineering product development sort of scene. Worked in heaps of industries uh, like, yeah, military, aviation, yeah, all sorts. Got real exposed to heaps of different industries and people and processes and stuff, which was a real good eye-opener. And then mixed that with, um, a number, uh, you know, a decent amount of travel um, as well, and just had a yeah, had a really really good time over there. And again, like touching on the building thing, did a bit of labouring in the UK as well. I was always sort of hinting to, you know, I always got drawn to it somehow a little bit, and yeah, did some labouring there, and just sort of saw the way that buildings are done in the UK, which is quite different to New Zealand. There's a lot more uh, dust involved and carrying things up about three or four flights of stairs when you're sort of laboring and um and also over there what i did end up buying uh i've got a passport over there so i was lucky enough to be able to stay over there a while and i thought i was sort of earning some decent coins so i was like oh i might as well throw this into a, a little flat so i bought down this little rundown apartment thing um it was pretty yeah she was run down she was rough been sitting on the market a while it was a yeah she was a dodgy it was a pretty skeptical buy really but I could sort of eye up the potential in it a little bit there was a drug dealer next door which I sort of knew about and really did find out about after the fact and so that was pretty interesting there for a while but yeah she ended up getting a she got arrested which was good and she was out of there so that increased the value of the property and then over a year, just worked away, chipping away, not knowing really what I was doing, um, just knocking out walls and putting in windows and all sorts of stuff while trying to live in there, just creating a massive dust storm. So uh, then from there, yeah, came back to New Zealand, so I met my wife over there, who was actually also from Wanganui, so it's a small world. You go all the way overseas to meet your wife from the same town. Um, she was a few years younger, so I didn't, didn't know her um, back at home, but... And then we found ourselves in the sunny Hawke's Bay and, yeah, bought bought a house, settled down, got a job over here um, and then ended up, yeah, ended up buying a piece of land just sort of a little bit haphazardly, I guess, a little bit randomly and been sitting on that a while and then ended up, uh, oh, we built a tiny house, which we live in now, mobile tiny house, which is... 22 square meters single story um my wife myself and our daughter living in there and so that's sort of been a really good stepping stone and now we're building a a permanent home on the property 135 squares high performance home so that's about where we find ourselves at the moment now i'm uh running i sort of took the tiny house thing again it sort of relates back to that going full circle back to that architecture building thing again so we've oh sorry i've turned that into a business followed my passion there and we're sort of at the moment specializing in trailers and doing tiny house designs for people so i'm been able to juggle that as a business and self-build our personal home so i'm trying to trying to live the dream here that's probably me in a nutshell <laughs> yeah that's the first thing that i uh notice from your instagram feed at least it's like oh man this 
this guy's really sending it in the direction of living the Kiwi dream, at least that kind of Kiwi dream that I visualize, you know, uh, you're definitely a, a doer, as you would say, you're a practical person by the sounds of it. You had a lot of different backgrounds of designing and, and getting your hands into different things. So yeah, I can, I can see how it's led you to where you're at. That's pretty cool. So you, you don't have any qualifications in terms of, of carpentry. It's just something that you've just drawn to You're a practical person. Is that how that came about? Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, just learning with dad at home, mucking around, not that he was in the, any uh, trades himself, but yeah, just learning YouTube. I think looking back on it, I probably easily could have or still could yeah so yeah no no qualifications but yeah i'll pick it up as i go mm-hmm. yeah nice let's talk about the tiny house then so when when about so that obviously is that something that you kind of found out about overseas or is that something that you kind of realized in new zealand that we we do quite a lot of what what made you decide to so you were living in a house and then you decided to go and downsize the 22 squares that's it's a bit of a jump yeah, we were, when we came back to um, New Zealand and bought a home in Napier, I don't know, it was like a 90 square metre home in town. Real nice, nice location, bit of a door upper, old 20s cottage thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was just, I don't know, I was just mucking around online and this sort of tiny house thing sort of popped up from at this stage. This was sort of six or so years ago, six or seven. So the tiny house thing in New Zealand then wasn't, well, that sort of the tiny house on wheels thing wasn't a movement like it is now. Mm. It didn't really exist. It was only just starting. So there wasn't much in New Zealand. I was like, I looked at it for, might've been half a year. And then I just had one of those epiphanies one morning and woke up and just said, Lols, I'm building a tiny house. Um, And she was like, what? Go back to sleep. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and and then from there I was just like right and she's like oh well if you're passionate about it just get stuck in so I started designing it with all you know those skills I've sort of built along the way so designing and researching learning heaps about you know I started looking at the building code and all sorts of all sorts of stuff um you know what sort of cladding how light does it, you know weights and all sorts of things um and as I say there wasn't much to go on in New Zealand like there is now um so it was a little bit challenging but um I spent about a year researching and designing just on and off while I was working full time. And then we spent, yeah, like a couple of years, couple of years building it. Um, where there was other things going on at that time. It obviously didn't need to take that long, um, but it was a part-time thing. Um, and also I designed it in a, I didn't, I designed it just to be quite different in terms of the construction. I really pushed the boat out. I didn't just build a stick frame and, you know, line it with plywood and put some tin on the outside. It was, mm. I did a SIPs panel, like homemade SIPs panel, which is structurally insulated panels from something I saw in France. And yeah, I, I probably wouldn't recommend it, but it was awesome for learning, you know. It was really, really, really good. So Sweet. Awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that, um, I've had kind of, I guess, a passing interest in, but I think it's something that's definitely, I mean, I'd like to ask you about it. And even if you just have some commentary on it, it certainly seems to have taken off in New Zealand and, you know, Kiwis have put their own spin on, on what tiny houses kind of look like and what they do here in New Zealand. Yeah. Anything to say about the tiny house movement in general? I mean, you're obviously pretty committed in it. So your, your full kind of full-time job now is designing tiny houses. Is that, is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I help with sort of when I was looking at it uh, initially, I was like, man, I could start. It's kind of what most how most people get into it. They start building tiny homes for other people. Mm. And me, because I, I like doing things really, really well. And to figure out, like, to get a whole house really, really good, I thought hey, that's going to take quite a lot of time to get that nailed. And, of course, you can learn on the fly and just go for it. But I thought, well, instead of doing that, I took the approach of breaking it down. So I was like, well, let's start with the trailer and, like, apply my skills, especially in all that steel work and whatnot. And the, and the CAD side of things and get that absolutely, you know, nailed. Um, and over the last three years, I'm probably really at that point now where it is pretty nailed. I've spent countless amount of hours, you know, I've got, I've got a trailer design, which sounds pretty simple, a trailer sitting under a home. But the thing with tiny homes is everyone wants something different. So I really sat back and looked at the market and have designed a trailer. Well, I've tried to design a trailer that covers... I'd say 90, 95% of people's needs and wants. Um, and I've done that through making it super customizable and modular. And you can add different bits and change things out to sort of suit price points and needs and requirements. Um, and then from there, once I've sort of got those that base, it's sort of evolved and developed and always continuously improving on the design. Um, like there's a lot of things going on with like protection over time. I mean, it's your foundation for your home. So mm. any builder, anyone really knows that's like, yeah, you get that wrong and it's, yeah, it's not going to be happy at the other side. So, um, yeah. And in terms, yeah, in terms of, the, it's got to be really lightweight, but strong. And then it's got to be able to go on, well, usually go on the road. So yeah, there's quite a bit going on there. And then as a, as a thing I've sort of developed alongside that, which I really like doing is helping people with, with their designs. So an example of that might be, I don't know, say there are a couple that I know they might've just finished uni and they're looking at, um, you know, getting onto the property ladder, but everyone knows that's super challenging at the moment. So they might step towards a tiny home as a fill-in until they and then get some savings and whatnot. So, um, you know, I'd help them though. Usually most people have been, you know, on Instagram and YouTube and stuff, sussing out what they want in terms of a tiny home. And there's these days, there's so many ideas out there and stuff. So, you, so they'll come to me with, you know, like, we like the look of this, um, you know, can you help us along? And like over the time of, um, you know, I've, I've pulled together, quite a bit of information i've seen enough homes and see what works and what doesn't work that i can hopefully apply some um, decent advice and help with the design so um, a common approach is that say this couple um, had a bit of a build experience but they might get say a builder to come and build it for them so i'll produce the plans to a good enough level i don't really say how to build the home but it's more like this is the home here's the window openings this is the size and so on and so forth, um, and then and then they get you know can get the home built, and uh, they might be able to do some of the finishing touches and stuff themselves. So it'd be a pretty common process. Um, in terms of the tiny house, I suppose community industry, whatever you want to call it, um, it did definitely start off as a community. As I said, six seven years ago, there was pretty much nothing, and now. Oh, as an example, like I talked to people back then, even people in sort of our generation, 
And they were like, what are you talking about? Like no one really knew, let alone parents' generation. They just, yeah, they they were baffled. They didn't know what was going on. Where now you talk to anyone and, well, just about anyone, and they know exactly what you're talking about straight away. So there's been a massive shift. Um, there's a lot. that It is more of an industry now, I guess. There's countless amounts of tiny home builders and steel frame suppliers and cladding and specialist this and that just for tiny homes. So it's really, yeah, it's really developing and it's only going up. Um, and I guess, you know, there's pretty good reasons for that um, for in terms of the price, the affordability of housing um, is only going up. So it's, it's a good stepping stone or even people that have been in the housing market who just want to, you know, they might have had kids and stuff and they just want to simplify, they just want to get rid of the debt or whatever and just, you know, live the simple life. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's a, it's a moving old industry. <laughs> mm, yeah, it sure is. What's the philosophy behind it even for yourself? You know, I mean, you say you woke up one morning and decided you want to build a tiny house. Um, is it is it kind of are we riding a kind of this wave of minimalism as is the modern kind of fashion or you know downsizing and you kind of think if you get rid of as much stuff as you can your life's going to be more simple um i'm just kind of interested into what you find makes people want to go and do something like that i mean i find it really interesting i think it's something that i could do myself i just don't have kind of the land which i guess is um another factor but yeah i mean what is it do you have you found that that kind of downsizing has how's that affected your life or or the way you see things or the way you live uh could everyone do it do you think it's for everyone do you think people should be or could be living smaller in new zealand because the way that group houses kind of want to build or sell you that dream of two living rooms and um you know at least 180 squares I don't know how sustainable that is, for sure. Yeah, you've touched on a few good points there. I guess going back, for me personally, um, I was sort of touched by probably quite a lot of it. I was saw the, the learning, probably the learning thing would probably be the big one for me is just going back, like circling back to building and architecture like all the time, you know, and there was that drive I could see, okay, I can now if I do this, build my own home and I don't have to get caught up in council stuff and build it in like regulations and all of that stuff. I was like, okay, there's a bit of a gray area, whatever, especially at the time I was like, I don't even know if this is legal or what's going on, but I just thought, oh, you're just better off just to do it and go from there. Um, so yeah, that was probably a big one. The environmental side's a good one too so you, you know it's that going back to that minimalizing stuff like leaving a smaller footprint not having as much stuff which that's actually yeah was quite big like i've never had from traveling i learned to live out of a backpack so it wasn't a huge one for me but just yeah having a minimal amount of stuff and having a spot for it is quite big it just it relaxes your mind a bit more. You're not frantically running around trying to move, like tidy all these things up. Where does that go? Why is this here? And all of that. It's just like our tiny house is definitely not far. It's not perfect in terms of um, tidiness and stuff, but there's just less stuff to worry about. 
Um, it's not till I go out to my shed, then I can see all my stuff everywhere. <laughs> um, and yeah, the other one was uh, the financial thing, being able to build a home. Like we built our tiny home just like I wouldn't want to add up my man hours. It would be crazy. But about 40000 for a like a warm, airtight, well-built, but slightly experimental home. Um, and that's a reasonably common number if you're DIYing the whole thing yourself. Um, you're buying homes to give the audience an idea in New Zealand from a, a, build, a tiny home builder, about a, uh, 90, 100, up to 150 sort of thing, you know, for a decent decent spec home. Um, maybe a little bit cheaper, of course, you get what you pay for. Um, yeah, and is, that, is the minimal, minimalist thing a fad? Um, that could be. I don't know. I I don't think so. There's there's a lot of I think it seems like in the I don't know when it when it was like the 80s or 90s or something everything seemed to or in New Zealand anyway and probably in a lot of western countries everything just seemed to grow like house size grew um consumerism seemed to just go crazy we just seemed to gobble up everything and want two or three cars and everything else and now there just seems to be a bit of a in the last maybe five or ten years there seems to be a bit of a trend to like okay do we need three cars in our household anymore um do we need this house as big um it's start starting to be a bit more of a shift um and i think that's when the house sizes did sort of peak and are starting to come down a little um, is the tiny home, I mean, our, as I said, our home's 22 square metres for three of us, which just seems absolutely mental for some people sitting there listening to this. Mm. But it's actually amazing when you get into, you know, get into it and get organised, how it actually seems a lot bigger than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely not for everyone, that's for sure. Some people are drawn to it, like myself. Other people can see the benefits and they're like, you know, no thanks. That's it's not going to be my cup of tea. But even even being this extremely small, it does get people thinking about, well, do I need a 300 square meter home? Maybe half of that's actually fine. And I don't need to spend half a Saturday morning or the whole Saturday morning vacuum cleaning it and cleaning everything. So mm. oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. It makes sense to me. And one thing that I kind of like about it from outside looking in, and maybe some builders, at least uh, business owners, would freak out about the idea of all these people kind of building their own houses and taking work out of our hands. You could kind of think of it yeah. that way. But then, yep. you know, I think it's great um, because you're right. It's There is a lot of kind of hunger, I think, especially in the modern age, especially like you say with this, youtube and we kind of have so much information at our fingertips where you're presented with the fact that actually you i wouldn't say anyone but if you committed to it um you could probably build your own tiny house you know uh, which is awesome so i think that's cool it gives a lot of people an opportunity to do something like build your building your own home is just i mean that's a dream for me um you know it's a dream for every builder i've ever met um so uh yeah it's a pretty Mm. cool experience i could imagine and for that to be affordable for more people i'm all for it great 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now, um, yeah, well, again, lucky enough to be able to build a permanent home on our property via, and as I said, not a builder, but we can self-build our own home and for our family and live in it, which is pretty awesome. And it's pretty cool in New Zealand that you can actually do that. And it's quite funny because I've talked to quite a number of builders about the project and stuff, and they're like, what, how can you do that? Are you, can you do that? They just, they don't realise that you can, you can legally self-build your own home and you can actually do a fair chunk of it. Um, plumbing and electrics, you can, bar that, you can pretty much do everything else. Mm. As long, you still got to meet all the, um, all the building code and regulations and have building inspection just like any other build. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, what I'm doing so it's blooming I'm yeah really yeah really lucky I suppose but I've always also been driving to do this I've always wanted to build my own home right from when I was a kid I think I talked about building homes and stuff so yeah I've managed to get to that point and had a very supportive family to be able to um, get to this point as well um, and yeah they're just like um, when can we move in every five minutes now <laughs> yeah, <a bit laughs> by christmas <laughs> <laughs> yeah unspecified year christmas yeah <laughs> um yeah no it's it's mm -hmm. great um yeah i mean i'm repeating myself but uh i think if building a place for you to live uh that just adds so much to or is such a big part of the human experience, you know? I mean, way back when, that was probably just standard practice. Like, everyone had a reasonable amount of practical knowledge to do basically what you've done. You know, you're obviously practically minded, and you've been able to apply that to just different interests and in whatever direction it takes you in. Um, I guess there's a lot of people who are kind of, we're so specialized uh, in this day and age that that's just not a reality for some people. But, uh, yeah, yay for the internet that... We can do that stuff technical question so you don't need a an lbp to sign off what you're doing uh in terms of building your own house at all no no right. no it just gets so it gets you've got to fill out a bit of paperwork at the start obviously um and it gets declared as a self-built home so when someone can't we come and sell it and someone buys it they're buying a self-built home um so you could say that puts a few people off, but that's one of the reasons why I've put, I'm going to put, <laughs> and Instagram's been a part of that, documenting with photos and a few mm. little videos and stuff, but I am going to do a YouTube. Well, I've done a few videos, but we've got a bit of a backlog happening um, of the build. And get yeah, so any potential buyer can be, they ask about build quality or any of that, I can be, look, go and watch YouTube or go and look at Instagram and you look at the quality um and the and the, also the construction of the home you can actually see a lot of it it's up on foundations and stuff there's and it's uh vaulted ceilings and stuff there's actually quite a lot of it's exposed um we're going for that more industrial look so you can actually get a pretty good look at most of it anyway um so and yeah i just we're building a home for ourselves we're not building to sell it of course one day we will but it's very much in the pretense that we're building it for us we're not building um a large home 
just to please the market or have four bedrooms and two offices because that's what the market in this area needs. We're just building it for us. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I'm a big fan of that. It's crazy that we don't do that. I just um, had a podcast with uh, Tonga Robertson, who's an interior designer, and we were kind of speaking about something similar where you're building a place that you're going to spend like 90% of your time in um, and you're building it for resale and you're not even thinking about, well, I mean, I'm sure you are, but you know what I mean? It, it seems like that, yep. that mentality is just like, well, we better put four bedroom house. Otherwise it won't sell. And what a tragedy. Imagine that. It's like, you know, don't, don't, don't pay any mind to the years or the, that you're going to live in there or the family that you'll bring up in there or the experiences that you'll have or, how you relate to that space every day. Um, as long as it's all painted white and looks like a show home, then you can rest easy at night for some people. So yeah, let, let's go into your project a bit more. Um, uh, so how did it all start? Obviously you have this block of land, you're, you're in a tiny house and then you decide to, like you say, you, you've always wanted to build your own house. So obviously it's a long-term dream. Um, I've looked at some of the stuff on Instagram. It looks like you're building it out of structurally insulated panels again uh and yeah yeah i'm just interested obviously you're pretty deep into the design so there's a fair few construction nerds out there who kind of love that sort of chat so yeah <laughs> yeah let's go for it yeah yeah right so yeah touching on those structurally insulated panels um i think well especially for this build because self-building so like i don't even really know how to frame a house to be really honest with you like I've never done much of that. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do this myself, that's out the window. Um, I'll be mucking around. Like I'd be able to do it, but it would take me 10 times longer than anyone with experience. And it probably wouldn't be fantastic. So that's out the window. So why don't we get some prefab panels? So they're basically for people that don't know. They're In this case, they're a timber. So they're a chipboard on uh, each face. Uh, they're 1,200 wide by almost as long as you want, but just say the standard cheap size of 2.4 metres. And then in our case, um, sandwiched between that, we've got 90 mils of polyurethane foam, so rigid foam. So basically they're super strong, really insulative, and they just clip, they basically just push into each other with some screws and some glue basically. Um, so they're basically like putting Lego blocks together. You end up with a really airtight seal, which is another big benefit of them. So you end up with a nice airtight home is what we were looking for because we're building a high performance home. So kind of a lot better than building code. That was our pretense on it. Um, some other, uh, we've also used steel sips for the roof, which is the same thing or poly panel, which they're quite oftenly known in, in New Zealand. Again, for the same reason, um, but we can have, we've got like, it's basically two pods, um, the two gables at 40 degrees. So it's a pretty steep roof. We're getting up to sort of five and a half, six metres up in the air. So um, yeah, again, I didn't want to be mucking around up there too much. So uh, prefabricated panels, again, they just sort of clip together. Um, they've already got the pre-finished colour steel on the outside and a uh, white colour steel on the inside, and we're just going to leave that raw. So basically, you've got your, your structure, your insulation, your lining, your roof, clipped together, job done, few flashings, sorted. So, I mean, there's a little bit more to it than that, but 
it's a pretty quick system. Um, they also, I noticed the other day, they sound really good in the rain. They sort of muffle, as a side note, they muffle the rain noise down a little bit for a tin roof, which was quite nice. Um, we've gone for, uh, in terms of the flooring, we've gone for, uh, we are a low-lying area where we are. Where we are, we're semi-rural, just out of Napier, about 10 minutes out of the CBD and got a nice view out to the east towards Napier City. Uh, as I say, low-lying. So we wanted just to get, not that the council said we had to get up higher for some reason, even though we're right on the edge of a flood zone, which was quite weird. But anyway, so we build up about a metre up in the air on 42 massive driven piles on an expensive geotech um, site, basically. So they, yeah, these piles are rammed two metres into the ground. They've got concrete collars around them, 300 mil diameter, treated and there was 42 of them um yeah everyone that came down to the site was yeah they were like oh she's not going to go anywhere um then on top of that we got a yeah pretty traditional timber subfloor with uh what do we got in there in terms of insulation we've got about 190 mil thick of fluffy insulation in there so way more than what you'd usually deal with. So two layers of insulation, basically. Again, had a few builders down at the time and they were like, whoa, okay. <laughs> but really, when you think about it, you're putting insulation in anyway. It's actually not a whole lot more money to put another layer in. Um, so going sort of back to, towards the start of the process, why we were putting so much blooming insulation in and doing these thick um, sips walls and all that sort of jazz, um, we actually went for a different route. So we didn't, my myself and my wife uh, designed the house conceptually and got, you know, we spent a long time getting that figured out. And we, again, we started and I was like, okay, this should be easy. And I just draw a blank straight away. I was like, how do you design a house? Like I designed a tiny house, but it was just quite like, there's a lot going on, um, obviously. Where do you start? It was more that. Um, anyway, we worked through that and then, um, instead of going to an architect and getting it drawn up and, you know, starting building it, we instead went to a thermal modeler. Um, so they basically assess the energy outputs of your home before it's even been built. So they took our rough plans, put it into some computer software and changed different variables around like wall thicknesses, like insulation values, windows, um orientations towards the sun um things like that number of openings types of glass oh, there's, yeah there's a lot of different variables going on but what, what they, they were really good at they gave us six scenarios at the start they said this is minimum building code and this is at the other end passive house which is a german energy um standard high performance standard for a home kind of the bees knees and then four different variations in between and he said, look, if you've got building code, I can't remember all the numbers and stuff now, it's going to, you're going to require this much heating to heat your home. And it's going to go through this many air changes an hour. Um, so an air change is um, the, the volume of the homes, um, the volume of the volume of the homes air, how many times that rotates around in an hour. Um, so I think the building code one, oh, it was something like, to, I don't think it was 20, it was like 10 or something like that. So it was quite a few And the passive house was 0.6. So um, you can imagine if you're heating your home, all that here's 
ears just disappearing out you know out the cracks out the um you know that sort of thing um so the basically long story short is we ended up going not with the passive house because financially obviously it costs a bit more to put real high performance windows and doors in your home and all the other things that you need mechanical um heat recovery ventilation the home needs to breathe and all this sort of stuff so we opted for the standard just below which is still a passive house standard but it's basically i call it can't remember exactly what it's called but i call it the poor man's passive house and we're not so it's just a sort of few clicks below that and we're not getting it certified or any of that i'm going to do a blower door test which is basically a test they put a um they put a fan on when you've got everything airtight, they put a fan in there and suck air out and blow air in and see how much air is leaking and where it's leaking and you've got opportunities to plug some holes up if you've got some holes. So a lot of taping in this house. Um, so we're going to get that checked just to see where it's at. Um, we haven't done that yet, but that will be coming shortly. Um, and yeah, the, the, the one of the things that he said, which was quite mind-blowing, I thought, the standard where we've got so Napier gets reasonably cold, like we drop below zero, but it's known for its sun and warm days and stuff, but it does get colder here than people think. And he said on your very worst day, like you're clouded, it's blowing a southerly gale, he said you're going to use two kilowatts of heating to heat your home, the whole entire thing. So that's like a plug-in heater. And I was like, wow, okay, let's do that. <laughs> so, you, I mean... Anyone can appreciate your heating bill is basically going to be zero. Um, and that's kind of where we're going. We're not, those, some of these passive homes, you can pretty much have a heating bill of zero and the house is net zero. So it's not using up any energy. Um, it's balancing itself out. So we'll be kind of down those ways. So that's what I wanted to spend, you know, thinking about things a bit differently and spend a bit money, a bit more money on getting the home right. And when I say getting the home right, it's, especially in terms of the building envelope like we're not super super worried at the moment about a granite kitchen bench top we can have that in 10 years time or whatever when we've saved up enough money for that but we'll still have a decent kitchen but you know we're, we're putting more of the focus on the things that you can't change easily any builder knows it's a nightmare to try to add in insulation and change windows and doors and all of that jazz and it just ends up costing a fortune so our thought on it is why not do that um, really well, like as well as you can. Obviously, there's budget um, restrictions and all of that sort of thing going on as well. But do it as well as you can, future-proof your home. And I can just see that's where everything's going. So hopefully this home, when we not that we're building it to sell it, but it should be still very relevant in 20 years' time. I think it'll still be, you know, outperforming homes you know but again we've built it for ourselves and yeah i just don't want to spend heaps of money on a power bill so <laughs> yeah for sure mate nah that's awesome um yeah i love that i think that i think that's great i think that's the way uh we should build i think most people probably listening to this are pretty practically minded and that kind of stuff makes sense um to build that way if it's possible um i could go on and it would be really boring about how crap the building code is in new zealand and <laughs> how we kind of settle for that um and how we don't have much say in it the average kiwi um in terms of this is the house you're going to get and um there's not much else you can do yeah i have a uh, one of my lecturers and uh 
the course that I'm studying at the moment, he's an architect and he's really into the passive house thing. And um, he he's built a couple of them and yes, one of them's in Nelson, but he says um, he's, he doesn't have any heating in that house uh, and he rents the house out. And he says to anyone who kind of, any tenant who comes into the house is like, if you're ever cold in this house, then um, I'll, I'll put a heat pump in it straight away. And he's had that house for like six years and no one's ever put heating in it just because like you say, if you engage someone like a, what did you say? Like a thermal engineer or a thermal? Thermal modeler. Thermal um, modeler. Thermal modeler. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but yeah, um, yeah I, I'd, I'd do it again straight away. Yeah. It's it makes my sense. Brain uh, in my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's just a yeah. way to save money and, and live in a healthier house. Just easy little things like me that I that I picked up from people that I know in the industry or or teachers or even the internet. Just as simple things as changing the orientation of your house and you know um, mm-hmm. having more glass on your north face and um, it's pretty simple, right? And and like you say, um, I'm not going to ask you how much this house is going to cost you, but I could imagine it's pretty comparative with, you know, what you'd pay for a brand new group home um, kind of anywhere in New Zealand uh, uh, in terms of per square. Obviously, it's a lot higher spec, but, you know, I think to build in that way, um, it's not as expensive as people would think if you have the opportunity to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just on that note, um, yeah, that, I mean, that was the sort of trade-off. We wanted to build a high-performance home. Yeah, they, it's definitely got to cost a bit more. Like, But I don't think it's... I'd love to sit down and do the numbers on it. I don't think it's actually a whole heap more. Mm-hmm. Um, but to offset that, the, the, for us, it was, it was kind of just obvious. We'll just make a smaller home instead of building... Like, we've got scope to build a 400-square-metre home if you wanted to. The land would gobble it up. Um, so we just built 135 square metres with no wasted hallways and you just sort of use that tiny house design mm. um, approach. Um, in terms of, yeah, the money side of things, I can be pretty transparent about that because it's actually all on our website. Like I've got a website that I'm sort of documenting actually all of the costs for the build. So it's all right there for everyone to see, anyone that is interested in it. Nice. And I'm trying to do it, you know, real costs. I'm not hiding costs and stuff. Of course, my labor's not in there, which would be astronomical probably. But mm. um, so I think we're at, so we're at, we're just about, well, just say we've we've cladded everything. Um, and obviously we've actually got, with our six panels, we've actually got our internal wall linings um, already done. We're just going to paint that. We're not going to jib, jib it, plasterboard it or whatever, like most people would do. But so we're at that sort of stage and we spent about 280,000. Right. So we're probably, I reckon, tracking for maybe 400. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, but of course, there's a massive labor content that's not, not in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. So I think if you can do things, yeah, you can do things a little bit smarter in places, I guess. And um, we are also leveraging off people, like having social media and stuff. We are leveraging um, off companies as well. We're just really, not so much, but it is leveraging. We're just asking the question, you know, like, you know, we're going to pop a few posts up, a few photos up and YouTube video of some of your product and stuff. Are you, you know, do you want to aid in a discount or something like that? And a lot of companies are like, yeah, that's awesome. It was good on you. Like, really love what you're doing and, 
um, yeah, here's a bit of a discount. And yeah, so yeah, trying to be real transparent and open about all of that. Mm. Mm. Um, and what's good about that I'm finding is it is off, like I could pay someone to, but it's sort of offsetting a lot of my hours and stuff that I'm spending on it where I could be working. <laughs> yeah. So, and we're sort of building a little bit of a, a brand, I guess, and whatever happens with that down the line, I don't know, but it's more of a, it's more of documenting and sharing and educating and learning kind of a thing. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. I like it. I think it's cool. It's, it seems like it's the modern way to do things. Um, and it sounds like, I mean, this is my opinion, but you know, you'll have a high performance house at the end of it that, uh, if it's your forever home and uh, you know, the amount of money that you'll pay on maintaining the house or heating the house or, um, it's got to work out in the long run, you know, and you're going to have a pretty valuable asset to sell in the future where uh, a lot of like-minded kind of people realize, oh, this is the way we should have been building all along. And, uh, and, and your house is a, is the kind of house that uh, people want to build. So yeah, good on you. Um, thanks for kind of paving the way there. And, and even that transparency is, is quite good. You know, I think it, it says a lot to the collaborative sort of um, spirit of the internet, I suppose, uh, where, you know, what's the kind of um, downsides of the downside of doing something like that in, in your perspective, you're just kind of sharing and yeah, maybe someone benefits from it. So pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it does. I suppose the, yeah, the, the thing with it is it does take a lot more of your time. Um, Instagram's quite cool because you can snap a photo, boom, chuck some words to it and send it up into the, into the clouds. Uh, that's quite easy. But in terms of like you're doing a website, but it, it's actually quite good doing the website in terms of the costing and stuff because you kind of want to keep an, a track on the costs mm. and put it, I find putting it up on there makes you do it. Mm. A lot more than having a spreadsheet that gets out of control and then you're like, oh, flag it when you're halfway through and just, oh, I'll just, yeah, figure it out at the end. Right. Um, yeah, it's actually been quite good putting it out there. Um, yeah, the the YouTube stuff has been suffering a bit because, I mean, the editing the videos is, is a huge time sap. Um, but, yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you will, mate. And you have something cool at the end of it to be able to look back on or for other people to enjoy something i think about even i mean my the amount of hours that i put into a podcast is um nowhere near what you what you're doing with videos and you know having a website and and building things all at the same time in social media but i often think like um at least for myself man i've had so much benefit or i've plundered the internet for a long time um and uh it's really easy to do that and not have to give anything back so i think it's quite a cool attitude or at least uh yeah you know putting something that you're doing back out there for other people to get something out of i know that's something i've spoken to with other content creators um and and they feel similar ways you know like tim um from the offcut um who's like a joiner furniture maker he said you know he learned everything he knew from youtube and was inspired by it and now he kind of feels compelled to do the same and be a part of that community so yeah good on you for doing that i reckon yeah that that's interesting that you say that because i haven't really thought about that right and that's probably one of the big reasons why i do like trying to yeah 
I've watched way too many YouTube building videos from all around the world and various other things. And yeah, I guess it is just a way of going, yeah, giving back um, from all that yeah, sapping that you've done. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the amount of information that you've been able to get to do what you're doing now. Um, yeah. In, in a previous life, you might have had to pay a lot of money for that or so. Uh, yeah why not give mm. back yeah i think that's pretty cool and people find it fun like it's entertaining you know um and it's inspiring because you're kind of coming across as an everyday person who's who's out there doing it and showing it and other people feel like hey i can give that a crack like probably you did um you know learning about the tiny house movement and be like hey that's something i could tackle let's go and you haven't looked back since so cool I guess, do you have an end date? Do you know when you're going to be f- finish the house? Uh, no, it's a common question, that one. Um, <laughs> no, not really. I can sort of see <laughs> see people be probably shaking their heads here, but we probably see ourselves moving into it before it's finished and doing that old chestnut. Mm-hmm. Um, just with a growing family and whatnot, um, there might be a few pressures there to start kids having their own space and whatnot um which is totally fair enough so yeah there's a little bit of um yeah there's a bit of pressure on but again not sacrificing you know the quality and stuff for you know rushing it sort of thing Mm. um we may because i said before it is in sort of two pods that we might just sort of almost wall one off and just get one done and not worry about that one for a while and just you know make it work go and park the tiny house next door and use the kitchen and that or something, you know, we've, we've kind of, um, yeah, since we've been back in New Zealand, sort of winged out living, um, our living facilities quite a lot, living out of sheds and tent, uh, all sorts of things. But yeah, we sort of made it, made it work, um, but can sort of see the final goal in sight. Um, so uh, the finish date, yeah. No, I don't. I don't want to say that on a on a podcast. No. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I can sure. Um, I'm sure it um, requires a pretty understanding partnership in terms of you know your family around you. Um, everyone would have to be pulling in the same direction for to make something like that happen. So, yeah, that's cool. Adds to the yeah. story, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm interested in the design of the house actually and kind of how if there's anything mm. that you can say i mean you kind of have said you know you you concept designed it yourself and then went to the uh, thermal person instead of going to an architect um kind of interested in the part about you know you've lived in 22 squares and then you said it's 130 is that right you mean, 135 yeah 135 um kind of how did you expand your known universe of 22 to that and how did you design it in a way that you planned i mean you obviously planned to live in the house for quite a while so i'm kind of interested in how you designed it like you say it is quite modular or it's got two two pods i think you referred to it as um Mm. yeah i'm interested in the design of a house it's something i think a lot of people think about um especially if they they have the opportunity to not go down that group housing road and think gosh how do i design a space for my unique little life and not have to worry about resale i I like that 
thought um and i think people were moving in that direction at least philosophically if not financially so yeah i, I wouldn't mind hearing more about the design and how you came up with it and maybe how like you say it was inspired by the the tiny house kind of background that you have yeah so in terms of the design like we're lucky enough that um me and my partner have a pretty which is good a pretty similar taste in design so we sort of agreed on a lot of things right from the outset what sort of form the house was going to take um and the form is i suppose it's basically looks a little bit the scandinavian kind of theme maybe a bit of japanese sort of style in there or just looking at some of the homes that could fit quite well down in queenstown or wanaka um there it's that sort of um form i guess so it's yeah we sort of ended up like i suppose we looked a lot and thought a lot about the environment that we were going to sit the house down on top of and how we did that was not what i suppose some people do i suppose this is the common way that you buy a piece of land and like quick let's bang house on it as quickly as possible instead we've had that been able to live in a tiny house on the land and yes the piece of land did have an existing shed on it which helps massively as well um but we spent two or three years here going through different seasons checking out where the wind's coming from at different times of the year where the sun's coming up and where the sun's setting and how the clouds affect things what the water low-lying property what the water levels do um ponding in certain areas and just the general feel of it even like where the insects are flying around like oh there's too many mozzies over there flag that area um so we really got a good before we'd even and that whole time we were both just subconsciously thinking about where the house might go what it might look like how big it might be what what sort of cladding it might have maybe um yeah so after you know three years of living here we had a pretty good idea um and as i say we were agreeing on a lot of things and yeah it was quite hard to actually start um but i was like well the easiest way to design things usually is to find some constraints so we'd already done a bit of research on those so we're like okay we've got to view this way and i mean that's an obvious thing we want to sort of maximize the view that's most people's goal with with house houses when they're building them new um, but then we're like okay we need to maximize the sun the thermal loading of the sun but then we don't want too much glazing oh, especially well, on the north and especially on the west and let home overheat um want to minimize openings on the south side but then obviously we want um the home to look good maybe when you drive in or maybe we don't really care about that and we just face it all out the other way um yeah so we sort of compiled all of these um ideas constraints and stuff and sort of put them in the pot and then that constrained the design down a lot instead of just having a blank sheet of paper and you can draw anything it was it started almost drawing itself like of course we went through a lot of iterations of design um and then yeah eventually we just ended up with two pods we're going to do a long elongated home all facing east and then we're like oh, wait a minute what about the sun coming from the north it's not really going to maximize that 
Um, it might overheat real badly in the east because we're getting sun straight off the um, horizon line. Ended up with basically a 90-degree home. So then we were like, okay, we need to minimise the footprint of this thing. We can't have, well, we because we're wanting to build a high-performance home, we can't build it huge. So we couldn't just go everywhere with it. Um, so we basically thought, well, what's the first thing we can get rid of? Well, we can get rid of a garage. We don't need that. That kind of an internal garage, I sort of learned from overseas, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yes, it's convenient, but then you're bringing in moisture straight into your home if it's been raining outside. You've got a poorly insulated door. You're bringing exhaust fumes in and everything else. So I was like, well, flag that. We don't need that. Um, we can settle for a carport or something just near the home. Um, we can get rid of hallways because they're a massive waste of space and just take time to walk around your home usually. Like they have definitely, don't get me wrong, they've got a purpose. But So we managed to design it with, oh, you could say there's a tiny bit of hallway somewhere, there's a little connection piece between these two rectangular pods. Um, but we've basically turned the hallway into a playroom, a TV room, a laundry um, a hallway combo so a big utility room now I know that's probably not for everyone some people would think that's way too carnage but I think just with smart organisation um, things we've sort of learnt from that tiny house living that we can uh, make that work uh, yet to be yet to be known um, and then yeah I suppose once we've got that yeah we started sort of settling on that design um, we, we sent it through to the thermal modeler and got some good out, um, input from him. And to be fair, he didn't really change the home. He said, you know, this is what it meets. You could change these window openings around if you want and stuff. But he said, look, you can, if this is the home you want, that's, that's fine. We can make that work. Um, it's got things like um, we'll have some protection over our northerly windows to stop overheating in the summer but they still let sun in in the winter months to warm the home um simple things like that um yeah we're not building on a on a concrete slab which i suppose i don't know 90 percent of homes in new zealand would be concrete slab these days um he was actually sort of it was interesting because he was because people think oh yep thermal mass concrete slab awesome but concrete slabs i learned from actually like they're quite hard to insulate well, like better than way better than building code insulate well for a like you know that passive house sort of thing. Um, so he said, you know, the, the best way to do it is actually build build up and then just insulate the heck out of it um, for probably a lot less cost, or maybe not a lot less, but um, you know, especially for what we we're doing self build. I saw well concrete slabs. That's not in my wheelhouse. Um, but I think I can build a deck and put a floor on it and put some insulation in between. So um, even to like talking about that floor, actually just doing something I suppose slightly different is we've got like a wind wash layer under the insulation, which is quite simply just plywood, um, and it's to stop wind blowing up through your insulation um and thus keeping your home a bit warmer um i suppose it I don't know, it might be done a bit i'm not really sure but uh it actually made laying the insulation quite nice because you could build you could put that plywood from the underneath on and then drop all your insulation in from the top then put your flooring plywood flooring on which was quite nice until it started raining and then yeah that was a little bit harder to 
yeah, to, to keep things uh, waterproof. But what we found, the, the plywood floor um, sw- um, got swollen with the water sitting on it, and this was kind of going through winter as well, which didn't help. And then it just kept, it, it was watertight <laughs> from there on in, and it didn't run through into the insulation. So it actually was fine. So then from there, obviously, you can build your walls up in there and your roof and whatnot. Um, actually, the best thing, I'm just so sorry, I'm just jumping around all over the show here, but one of the best things I reckon I bought secondhand was a little crane truck because I was like, how am I going to lift? I lay at night. I, I lay in bed at night, countless, I don't know, countless hours sitting there going, how are we going to lift these panels? Not that they're that heavy, like these SIPs panels, a couple of guys can lift them. Um, and the, uh, the steel SIPs panels, um, they're, oh, they're probably only 40, 50 kilos. They're actually quite light, but still, how are you going to get that up, those those roof panels up to the top six and a half metres at a 40-degree pitch? I was like, how are we going to get those up there um, without having, you know, massive manpower and, and trying to keep everyone safe? So I ended up buying, uh, yeah, this little crane truck um, and just use that for standing. We've got um, LVL um, standard timber framing in, in one of the pods. That's our, all our internal wall. And I mean, that's, as I say, that was five, five and a half metres high. And like, you can't really stand, well, as far as I know, you can't really stand that by hand. So you needed some form of lifting device. So we just got this little crane truck, hooked it up, pulled all this framing around where we needed it, lifted it up. Um, and same with all the panels, the SIPs panels. Like we did manhandle a lot of those because obviously speed is a bit quicker manhandling where you can, but getting up to the higher points, crane, crane. And I just sort of we um just sort of wondered, I was like, man, wouldn't this be quite handy for a builder sometimes just to lift things around a site and be able to put things on the back and I don't know, drive to and from, get materials and all that sort of things. I never really see builders um using that sort of equipment maybe i'm yeah just haven't seen it but uh, that was and so buying that second hand i'll just sell that for it's not a road legal it's just it was taken off the road for rust and stuff but it could be turned back into a road legal crane um so i'll just sell that hopefully for what i bought it for and instead of hiring a a hyab for what do they cost these days quite a decent amount per hour yeah um and having someone standing standing there watching you and you're stressing out and you don't know what you're doing and stuff swinging around and you haven't got the right tools at the right spot and having all that pressure um that yeah we just sort of yeah it was a uh yeah it was a great way of doing it um the rest of yeah in terms of the rest of the design we've got i don't know some other interesting points i suppose because the airtight um home's so airtight it needs some lungs to be able to breathe which is probably a bit of a weird concept for a lot of people in new zealand anyway that they're like well why don't you just open the window which we still can open a window um but this the, the beauty of the system is that like regulates and purifies all your air. So all your air coming in is basically completely contaminant free. You get through all those pollens and hay fever causing everything and all of that stuff. And that just ticks away and basically yeah, brings in fresh air, expels the stale air, and it's got a heat exchanger in it. So it doesn't lose, you're not you're losing heat um that um heat out of your home. And we're going to run industrial ducting through the home and make it yeah 
make it all quite industrial and uh, a lot of people hide tuckle that stuff away and it just ticks away quite quietly um another one which yeah biggie is the windows and doors joinery um yeah i had a bit of an epiphany again when i was in the uk i went to open a window there i was pretty hungover at the time and i was like i just needed some air I was like, how does this window work? Why is it not opening outwards? What's happening here? And it was the European style open inwards window with a handle that goes three ways, lock, um, tilts, open, hinges from the bottom and then hinges from the side and comes in at you. I was like, wow, this is this is cool. We'll have, have some of that one day. So that's what we did. Um, we went with UPVC joinery. Um, it's all German produced, but it's um, made in Christchurch, actually. So, um, yeah, and the beauty with UPVC is over aluminium, which is the common um, material used in New Zealand, is the thermal efficiency. When you touch a piece of plastic, I mean, it sounds crazy having plastic windows, but you touch a piece of plastic compared to a piece of aluminium when it's or a hot or a cold day, and it's it's very noticeably different how much um, conduct conductivity's rolling through that piece of material, and the 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 yeah the the big one too with these windows and doors they seal they are like yeah they they've got like the doors have got I don't know nine ten points of engagement like it's not just a latch it's it it really sucks in there. Um, so again, that's going back to that airtight thing, keeping keeping that um, energy inside your home as opposed to just leaking it out the windows and wasting your money. Um, I suppose it's a different it's a different approach. It's a different sort of approach to building. Um, whether it work well, I've seen it working around the world, but it's yet to be proven for us. It might not be our cup of tea. I don't know, but we'll live in it and see how it goes and I'll document it. Um, but I, I can just see everything I, I look at and listen to it's that's where things, things are tracking. So, um, and I see homes in New Zealand by default, just with the building code picking up and building practice and better building materials and, a lot more use of taping and foaming things. Buildings are just naturally getting more and more airtight to the point that they probably do need some lungs. And some of them seem to be from what I hear and see from other people living in newer homes that they're condensating. Um, and, you know, they probably, yeah, as I say, need a set of lungs or something um because we're naturally things are going that way so yeah i think it's cool um and it seems to be the tr it's definitely the trend in the states and in europe it's just where everything's going so yeah awesome yeah no that that's cool man that's interesting um yeah i think it is maybe counterintuitive for the way we've been building in new zealand anyway uh residentially so uh yeah, I'm excited to see how the experiment goes. That on our shores, I'm sure it's not going to be too far afield from what they're getting overseas. So great. Um, yeah. So I mean, thanks for your time, Mike. It's been really interesting. I've enjoyed this chat. It's something what you're doing is kind of probably a dream for a lot of builders or a lot of a lot of Kiwis. Um, it's a pretty cool little block you have and what you're being able to do and. Um, kind of embodying that Kiwi um, give it a crack attitude which 
I love and and people appreciate um, and it's entertaining as I say so yeah well, um, if you could kind of um, let the listeners know where they can find out more about your project and, and follow you online and, um, and and watch it on YouTube and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, so in terms of the build we're doing here, everything's under our lifelock.co.nz um, and you can find us on your Instagram, YouTube and Facebook um, if you just search for that. In terms of the tiny house stuff, if people want to check out our website there, I've done a very similar thing to what we're doing here now in the early stages. It was very much um, a lot of blogs and information gathering. Uh, there's quite a number of YouTube videos on that on various different topics. So there's quite a bit of building tiny house related stuff to look at that people still give me feedback today saying, man, that was really useful. So if anyone wants to check out that, it is We Make Change. That's W-E-E makechange.co.nz and again similar uh, social media links on that site or if you search the name you will you will find them awesome cheers mate yeah i'll leave all the links to um to what you're up to in the notes of the episode or when i post it up on instagram as well so yeah once again thanks mike that was um infotainment that's what i'm going for at the podcast so um yeah thanks for being a part of it i'll definitely keep an eye on what you're up to and um yeah thanks for sharing thanks for your time uh thanks very much adam um yeah love what you're doing keep it up cheers mate thank you all right thanks for listening that was mike pickering founder of we make change and current sustainable high performance house builder uh shout out to mike thanks for sharing your story mike's a great example of good old kiwi ingenuity and taking something into your own hands i appreciate his attitude it's inspiring it's a testament to heaps of interesting people out there who are sharing their stories about their construction projects you know for mike to give out all this really helpful information and kind of give back um, in terms of if someone else wants to go down the route of building something that he's built yeah i love that that spirit's awesome you know that sharing of knowledge within the construction industry for the benefit of everyone it's not always possible but in a situation like that i take my hat off to mike for maybe even opening people's eyes to what's achievable not only practically but what you can get for your money in terms of a house that is really worth every buck again i enjoyed that one i've been reflecting on the past year since i released the first episode of the podcast and uh you know, it's just enjoyable getting to talk to all these different people and learning different things from a wide range of people who are involved in our industry. And yeah, it's been quite a weird journey. Uh, you know, oh, about a year ago, I decided that I was going to sit down and talk about building with people and put it on the internet. Um, and I'm still going, so it's pretty strange. I definitely want to keep on doing this there are a mass of people doing cool stuff in construction and building and art and design that's worth sharing i hope i get the opportunity to be involved in that coincidentally to kind of line up with around about a year of the Chippeway podcast being around uh, there's a really cool giveaway coming up for the next episode 
I'm not going to say any more than that. But if you follow me on Instagram at chipawaycarpenter and you will be able to go into the draw to win that giveaway, it's well worth getting involved in with another uh, ingenious Kiwi story. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. And until the next one, keep chipping away.